0: Welcome to episode 172 of Control the Controllables and it's a delight to be back with you after a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks at tournaments in Switzerland, in in the UK and taking a little bit of time off from from the podcast, although I've missed it, I've missed missed the conversations and I'm delighted to bring you the US Open Preview 2022.
1: Both events are pretty open for a lot of players this time around. I mean, the way the people have been beating each other over the summer, and I think there's it's it's almost bad like back in the 90s or 80s, where you could see a lot of people winning after a, a many years of a few players dominating both sides. So I think that's going to be interesting, that, that the tournament is going to be really interesting from the first few days. Like Noah said, the US Open is a lot, and it's electric, so it always has something in store
0: for us. And what a us open we have what is the storyline going to be you know is this serena williams's last tournament after an incredible career she certainly hinted at that people have presumed that that's what she meant but do we know i'm not sure we do we found out she's playing doubles with her sister venus williams and they will certainly get the crowds going you know andy murray is he going to be the one to to step up as well as he comes towards the twilight of his career. You know, who who is it that we're going to be watching? We're not going to be watching Novak Djokovic. We we now know that for certain. We will be watching Medvedev, Radakanu, Igosfiante, you know, who who is your picks for the title and who are those to watch? And that's what I delve into with the panelists and, and another brilliant podcast panel that I've been able to fortunately bring together. And it's not easy. It's not easy for these guys. And I'm I'm finding there's positives, but there's also negatives because as the pandemic isn't taking over our lives to the degree that it was, it's a little bit harder to get and nail down these tennis players to be able to give their time and these tennis coaches. Whereas it wasn't so long ago that they were all stuck in their hotels and uh, I was able to get a hold of them at all, at all times, which really helped control the controllables. But don't worry, we'll still be bringing lots and lots of guests to you. So the panel this time, we have Mark Hilton, the, the coach of Andy Murray over the last few months, former coach of Dan Evans, Kyle Edmund, Liam Brody. you know, knows British tennis, as well as anybody, you know, has been at the heart of that for the last 30 years, including as a, as a player himself, Freddie Nielsen, the, the Wimbledon 2012 doubles champion. You know, he brings his wealth of knowledge. You know, he's now national coach, Davis Cup captain for Denmark. And he always has incredible opinions and insights to give. And then it is the US Open. So we wanted to get our native American. And we have brought to you a New Yorker, somebody who knows the Big Apple well. He knows... The USTA, well, watch out. Maybe his words aren't so kind on the USTA, but he knows US tennis really well. He's still on the tour. He's played many US Opens himself, and that is Noah Rubin. And he brings another fantastic guest, interesting guest to the show. It's a brilliant hour or so of tennis chat, US Open chat, and I'm sure you're going to love it. I'll pass you over to my US Open 2022 panelists. So our US Open 2022 panelists, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. And it's nice to have a virgin, a virgin panelist making its way to control the controllables. Noah Rubin will be the first voice that you all hear. A big welcome, Noah. I know we, we had a chat almost, I think, a year and a half ago when we had our Mental Health Awareness Week on, on the podcast. It's it's great to have you with us and a, and a big congratulations, I understand, on, on a recent engagement. Well done.
2: Yes, thank you so much. Not... Not that I'm glad to get out of the way, but I am glad to get out of the way. It was kind of weighing on me for a, a few mon- months. Had, had the ring already bought, but uh, yeah, now in a much clearer headspace.
0: <laughs> and, and no surprises, I hope, when you when you went through with the plan. Uh,
2: no, no, there was no. Uh, let me think about it for ten to fifteen. You know, there was nothing like <laughs> that, so I think we were okay.
0: <laughs> a, a, a really a really quick one on on that when I when I asked my now wife who also the listeners will know from the podcast. Uh, She's always, we've always had a bit of a joke that when I say, how are you? Or someone says, how are you? She gives a very disingenuine kind of, yeah, good you. And she doesn't mean it, but she just says it. So I asked her, we were in Thailand and I said, "Um, what's one thing you would change about our relationship? Thinking she would say a couple of things and then say you, and then that was kind of my in to ask the question and 45 minutes later i wanted to jump in the sea and drown myself because she wanted to change so many things about our relationship uh, <laughs> and and she also didn't ask me in return so ah. uh, so i had a little bit of a, a, a thought process of whether i was going to jump in and ask the question <laughs> after being torn apart for so long but um it was it was All the was right
1: execution. decision
0: <laughs> absolutely and and before i bring freddie and noah it it would be, it would be great. And I know the listeners, you know, who have who have followed you and, you know, you've played many a US Open, you know, you've been, you know, we've seen you on, on the biggest stages. You've had a rough couple of years. The body, the body hasn't been holding up as well as you would like, maybe too much running on that tennis court, but uh, how, how are you doing? Give us a little update.
2: Yeah, it's been tough. You know, I was playing, you know, fairly well right before the pandemic and then you know seeing as the pandemic progressed i was just one of those players that did not want to travel i had too many friends that were stuck in foreign countries you know whether it's the middle east or south africa and i just didn't have the bandwidth for it you know just couldn't do that so you know when i made my way back into it it was slow but um yeah at the beginning of this year i was excited to kind of restart and, and see where i can go and it was a lot, you know, it was more competitive than I remember, if that's possible. Seems like tennis is getting more competitive by the year. And then, uh, yeah, kind of slowly coming back with some ailments from past injuries and, you know, kind of been, you know, a turning point for me, you know, seeing what my next step is going to be. Still love tennis, but the system always just beats the shit out of me. And then Freddie has heard this out of my mouth probably too many times at this <laughs> point. But uh, yeah, as much as I love the sport, it's it's just been it's been a lot. It's been a lot. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what the next month holds.
0: And is that it? Is that? And that's what I'd I'd like to jump into. Sixty point one million U.S. dollars is the the total prize fund, I believe, this year at U.S. Open. A, a record. A, a crazy amount. I think it it dwarfs even the I think the fifty two million that we had in Australia this year. The the prize fund. The the the, the holy grail. Is becoming bigger yet yeah. yet yet down the line. So, you know, for, for someone like yourself, Freddie, who I know you had your successes in Grand Slams on the on the double side, but spent most of your career playing singles on on the level a little bit below. How how does that make you feel when you hear that the money's so high? Because I guess to the to the public, they go, oh my God, tennis, you can make so much money. And there's so much money being pumped into tennis. How how does that make you feel? And the guys that are on that ATP, that Challenger Tour, a little bit below the Grand Slams?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those that's a little weird about this because uh, I never came in with any ambition to make a living out of tennis. I never had any expectation that it was uh, going to, kick off in any way financially. And I, I do understand that the big the big guys are the ones that that uh, pull in the most money. And uh, those are the ones that people want to see. And I'm also kind of thinking, you know, the way the system is now, where is the market going to come from if you all of a sudden pump up the price money minimum at futures or challenges and all this stuff, as, as I understand, it's difficult enough to get Get a circuit going financially so so i'm kind of in the in the boat that it's i'm i'm just happy that there is something to be played because i'm pretty worried that there could be a breakaway tour kind of like the formula one where all the best guys are playing somewhere and everybody else is elsewhere so i'm 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 more at the at the i'm I'm just happy there is a tour at the moment right now Having said that, it obviously is strange that the, the the prize money is more or less the same as it's been for forty years. But I'm 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 a little more pragmatic on the other way of saying. I think it's difficult to finance it, too. I mean, when I travel around seeing challenges and futures, there's not that many people coming, and I've, and unless you're the federations that pay for the tournaments that players can go through, what what's the like what what's the motivation to have a tournament? So I'm a little bit worried about being too critical, but. Of course, I understand that there is something that can be done, and there is no—I mean, don't get me wrong—I don't think you need to put that much more money into the final rounds of a slam. And I think they have done a lot more to help the qualifiers and the first-round uh, uh, players and the uh, and the doubles players. So, so a lo- long answer, short. It doesn't really affect me too much, to be honest.
0: But if we take and I bring you in, Noah, now on that, I think it's eighty thousand. 000- US dollars first okay. round prize money this year that that seems when we're talking about the guys and girls that are that are losing in the first round their, their 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 average ranking i guess is 150 you know qualifiers players that come through you know you may be talking 80 90 then you you you've got maybe some players that are even as as low as 250 yet for winning a challenger event. I would. Have, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to guess at four or five thousand, something along those lines. Seven.
2: Yeah, it's around yeah. seven. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: it, it it seems very very different in terms of the same sort of level players. The gap of being two seventy to two thirty, or the gap of being two sixty to being yeah. one twenty. Uh, Nor I know you've got some opinions on this, so I'm going to leave the floor to you.
2: No, I think what Freddie was talking about is is spot on. Um, you know the reason that slams, you know, is, is exponentially increasing in prize money is because, you know, I don't even think it's a tennis all the time. If you go to the US Open, there's very few tennis fans that are actually coming to watch tennis, you know, it's, it's more of a place to be. So when you talk about um, bringing in people to the sport, tennis is not accessible. So the grand slams are more of an outlier. And it's like, wow, we, we should be so lucky. And we have to look at grand slams in some fact, almost as base salary for tennis players. And that's kind of what we've always looked at. So when they're, you know, exponentially increasing, it's nice. But when you look at the challengers and, you know, and even ATP, I mean, I've played, uh, I remember playing Fognini in Switzerland in front of, you know, 45 people, you know, here's a second round of an ATP event, and, you know, everybody's like, Oh, in Europe, it's so much better. I'm like, okay. And, And here we are in Switzerland and, you know, still getting, you know, 50, 60 people out to watch that match. And you know, it's fine. You don't have to watch me. But here's Fognini, who's one of the most exciting tennis players to watch on tour. So you look at that and it's like there's a reason why tennis hasn't exploded. And there's and there's a lot. I mean, it's accessibility. It's when matches are scheduled. It's how long tournaments are during the day. People are working. All of this that comes down. And, you know, with the U.S. Open, it's a place to be people yep. want it. And, you know, you get a ground ticket for $80. You know how I many people pass through those gates every single day, you know, and the hot dog is $8, <laughs> you know, so the, the money is there. The money is there. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. I mean, the finances hasn't changed at a challenger level. So it's great. You can look at the slams and everybody's like, oh my god, even at qualifying, you know, you're getting 18 grand for losing first round or whatever it is now. But, you know, that money, just, it just gets cut and chopped down as soon as you leave. And so you have 18, you know, you get some per diem for the hotel and that's great. If you don't have a coach with you, which I highly doubt, most of these players do have a coach. You're paying for that. Next week after you're probably going to either Asia, another tournament in the U S you know, it's the money goes, the money goes. So as much as we say that it's, you know, it's increasing exponentially. It's really the percentages are increasing at the, top 100 level, which we've always seen, and that's fine. And and Freddie bringing up F1 is, is hysterical because I compare tennis to, like, a wannabe F1. You know, it wants to be the top. It wants to be this high-end, classy sport. But at the same time, we want to be accessible. I was like, pick one. I wish they really just told us to F off and said, hey, <laughs> we're just going to be the top 20 players. Um, but that at the same point, they're like, oh, we'll help 500 players at the same time. I'm like, guys, you're not doing either so uh we'll see
0: what about what about live golf if that if that came into tennis to pose that question to you guys would would that be a good thing and I know I I'm taking away there's some listeners that are saying no the Saudi and I, I'm not getting into the political. Right, the no yeah. I'm not getting into that side of things but I'm getting into some some money rich money big money that comes in. And, and goes against the ATP Tour, which Live Golf has gone against the PGA Tour. It, it, for a fan right now, I don't like it, if I'm honest, on the, on the golf side. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting how it unfolds. You know, is that something that would be good for tennis or bad for tennis?
1: Freddie, you or me? <laughs> I'll start real quick because I just want to ask something. So the Live Golf is obviously only going to be for established players the, players, the way I understand it, right? So if it changes to live, well, what's the perspective of getting young, young golfers into that tour and whatnot. I don't understand that. But will that, that not.
2: I think it comes down to the idea of competition. I think that's kind of the main, like I, I tried to do the BTR tour. Some people knew that I was working hard to kind of get an alternate tour because I think in the end, you know, we have the PTPA, which is working hard and they have some, you know, announcements coming up in the next few months or whatever, but I think the only way ATP WTA changes is if they're scared that there's something else that's going to take it over. Course, I mean, yeah. they've been kind of on their own for so long. And I think live golf again, not the politics. If you have people with the finances, with the money to come out and say, Hey, we're here to just take players and have fun doing it. It's going to be an easier schedule and they're going to make a lot of money. That should scare the ATP. That should scare them because you know the guys you know that are actually competing for a Grand Slam title are very few. The rest just want to have a good time, play a sport in front of fans and make a lot of money. So yeah, I think that's that's where that that lies right
0: now. But even if we take if we take golf before live, yeah, you still have the variant tours. You have the Asian tour, you have the European tour, you've got the the PGA tour. you you've also got and I know this living in Spain because it it happens a lot in our area. You've then got the two below that where they are still making money. So, it, I guess the point I'm making, Freddie, is there's more spaces the 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 more tours that you have that are making money, and and I'll never forget speaking to Joseph uh, Siriani, and you guys will know Joe, I'm sure, from your time on the tour. No, you might be a little bit too young for 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 spending time with Joe, but he was ranked about four fifty five hundred, maybe even a bit lower. And I played him in the final of a money tournament in in the UK, and I said, "Why, you know, why you're not ranked higher, dude? You know, like you you're good," and he was like. I'm, I'm playing tennis to earn a living. And he said, and I, I'm earning a living by playing German league each week, by playing French club matches each week. I'm, and and he was like, he was coming away, maybe making 150, 200K a year through 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 alternative ways of making making money in the sport. And I think sometimes our egos as tennis players, as tennis coaches, as tennis parents, we get so caught up in in our self worth being around an ATP WTA ranking and it was really quite an eye-opener for me that I was like as a 20 year old saying oh right okay so there's another way of doing it (laughs) there's another way of doing it so as as those if those two has opened up and there's more more ways of making making money then then I guess that has to be a good thing for open up the spaces and possibilities for 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 many more players
1: yeah. And I mean, there is money to be spent. You see that everywhere. I mean, people spend money on the weirdest things, even in tennis. So so it's there to be spent. But I think uh, Noah mentioned as well with the accessibility. So golf has a has a brilliant product. You play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're more or less guaranteed that you're, the, the people you're coming to watch are going to be there four days in a row. Uh, you have business opportunities in the first few days of the week. you're not going to overlap from another tournament. So, if you have Tiger in your tournament and this sponsor, I'm gonna pay uh, five million dollars to to support this tournament, but I want to be part of the tournament, uh, be part of the program, and I want Tiger there. He's gonna be there on the Tuesday. And it's such an easy product to to uh, to support financially. And I think tennis is, is is a little more different. I mean, then you you bring out your corporate boxes and stuff and and you can sit and talk, but you can't really watch the matches at the same time because you have to be quiet and, and all this. And I think, I think it is the the the, the way to spend money and be business wise in tennis is a little bit difficult because the players are not really willing to to do a lot of stuff either to get out and, and and get in touch with the players. You know, if you could just if you could guarantee all the players to be part of a program every tournament, I think you would have more people sponsor uh, various tournaments or or the top dogs and. And I, th- I think that 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 really helps. Plus, golf is very uh, universal. A lot of people play golf and, and you can play with each other. So, so I think that, really, that, that makes it a little bit easier too for, for the sponsors. So I think from a business point of view, I think golf has a much better product than, than tennis has, uh, to be
0: honest. It's a great subject, but I want to jump into, into the US Open. And we've got, we've got our own New Yorker on the on the show and it's yep. it's it must be it must be such a special special event for you so tell tell us what the new the u.s open means to yourself
2: yeah i mean obviously it was kind of my backyard i mean long days there hot days i mean this is low-key one of the hottest tournaments of the year and yeah it's just kind of been a part of my childhood spending days there you know you know not everybody knows but qualifying is an amazing time to go Free tickets. You don't have to, you know, wait online. You just kind of walk in. Um, but yeah, it's always been a part. So when I got to play, I actually thought when I got to play the juniors for the first time, I was going to be on site. And then I played my first round qualifying on the P courts. So I wasn't really in it yet. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, okay, we're not there yet. And I lost final round qualifying. Um, and I was like, I'm really not in the yet. But then uh, finally, actually played. Uh, Great Britain's Kyle Edmund, I think was my first time and I somehow I was seated and he was not. And I was just like, and everybody knew Kyle Edmund at the time, like what a first round to get against this guy. But, you know, having all these memories of being there, having, you know, my third grade teacher show up and, and support, you know, it's kind of been a lot of anxiety, a lot of, of excitement, but it's a very unique Grand Slam I and mean, we spoke about earlier on of just it's not all tennis fans there's a lot of drunk finance guys that come out and support and you know it's it's just kind of that place to be you know for the first 2 weeks and uh it's a lot it's there's not much else to say besides it's it's a lot and you have to be ready for it
0: and it's the the 25th anniversary I believe of Arthur Ashe Stadium this mm-hmm. year as well and I think we have to mention that, you know, because not only was Arthur Ashe a a great man, a great tennis man and and did so much, but there is something very, very special about Arthur Ashe Stadium, especially at night, you know, and I I know the first time I ever went to New York and I think no, that might have been the year, I don't know if it was the year you played Kyle, but 2012, I know that Kyle had a had a big run through to yes. maybe the semis or final and uh Liam Brody made the final that year. I think Kyle Edmund won the doubles. You know, I was there with a, a few of the British guys and and I turned up a few days earlier with with my wife and we literally landed at four o'clock and it was like, We are going to get a ticket for the night session, you know, and off we went and it was actually uh, Andy Murray that was playing in, he, in his first round and you walk out and just the electricity that you get as you walk up those steps and just see the stadium in its in its full delight and, you know, the, the floodlights are on and it's it's very, very special. And um, as as I'm saying that, I see that as I'm talking about Andy Murray, we've got his coach, Mark Hilton has jumped on. You know, I I didn't think he was going to make it. He's managed to get the kids down in okay. time. So Hilt, a, a big welcome to you as well.
3: Good to see you again this evening, Dan. Good to see you guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Hey, Hilt. How you doing, Freddie? UK. Okay. Good to see you. Very
0: and and, to- and talking of storylines, I guess Hilt. Well, well, we've we've got you jumping on. You know, you've spent the last last few weeks with with Andy. You know, I think the the whole tennis world is is Andy's biggest fan now you know i think and i'm sure you feel it you know being in these stadiums around the world everyone he's everyone's first or second favorite player now i think you know as he's in in that twilight of his career and everything he's been through you know is that going to be a storyline of this year you know can he can he do it, have have a big run at, at the US open this year
3: well he's certainly capable um it's it's one of them listen there's He's in a position now where he'll go into the event not seeded, so he can obviously come up against anyone. But he's he's not a good draw for anyone either. Um, he, he, his ambitions now are clearly to to go deep in these events, and and the main reason he's he's continuing to compete and he'll be doing everything he can. And you know he's he's made another comm- commitment over this summer to compete a lot to to really look to prioritise the U.S. Open. Um, his aim was to be seeded there, which unfortunately he wasn't able to do, but. There's no doubt he can go there and, and go deep in the event. You know he'll need he'll need to get through some matches reasonably straightforward to give him the best chance to go deep into the second week. He knows that. I think everyone else would know that. Um, but there's no reason why he can't do it.
0: And and I think he's he's such an inspiration. Just before you jumped on Noah, was talking about you know his injuries and his challenges that he's had with his body his body over the last over the last few months. Just a being, being first-hand... Next to Andy, and you know, over the over the last few months, and seeing the discipline, the day and day out grind, the the why does thirty five years old, he's got millions in the bank, you know, why does he need to do it? You know, give us a give us a little insight into what that's been like to see that so close up.
3: Well, his desire and his uh, motivation to compete and win at the highest level clearly hasn't diminished. I mean, he's going to to every end to try and get the most out of himself Um, whether that's in his day-to-day work whether that's bigger picture making sure I say making commitments to be away from his family for a significant period of time through the summer um, investing in the team around him the one thing I would say having spent some time with him over these last few months is that he doesn't switch off from it he it's something he could probably be better at and would probably admit to you know, something he could be better at. It's it's one of them where he is plowing every minute of every day into into getting the most out of himself. He feels like he's obviously been unfortunate these last few years to be missing out on some of his his prime years given the timing of his you know his injury with his hip and he's and he and he purely loves the game. You know, there's no doubt about that, that he he is doing it for multiple reasons, but mainly because he still believes he can he can win at the highest level. Otherwise I don't think he's the sort of character who's just going to hang around just to show up every week. I think his desire is still there to to do that. He, he he's been pretty inspirational to be around to see the level of commitment that he has given given the situation and the the few years he's he's had. He still believes that he can do it. And I think that he's surrounding himself with people who still believe he can as well.
0: Brilliant and and Freddie, to to bring you back in, we we had a Wimbledon full of. Just full of storylines, you know, every, everywhere you turned, it was like, oh my God, story there, story there, you know, where do we start? So what are some of the storylines you think we've got look, to look forward to over the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, certainly Andy Murray's progress is one. That's very interesting. Uh, I think one of the more interesting storylines for me personally is that both events are pretty open for a lot of players this time around. I mean, the way the people have been beating each other over the summer and I mean, there's. I think there's. It's it's almost bad. Like back in the '90s or '80s, where you could see a lot of people winning after a, a many years of a few players dominating both sides. So I think that's going to be interesting. That that the tournament is going to be really interesting from the first few days, um, and and then uh, I think like uh, like Noah said, the U.S. Open is a lot and it's electric. So it always has something in store for us. It's some night sessions that finishes uh, at, at uh, very late or whatever. And I think what, what some of the storylines are more like what's going to happen. And then the, the last one I would bring out is obviously the, the last tournament for Serena. That's probably going to take up a lot of headlines.
0: And, and if we, if we start there, Noah, you know, can, can Serena surprise us? Can she, you know, she certainly hasn't looked like she's going to, you know, it's felt like it's almost a little bit of kind of turn up and, and give a wave. And obviously Serena always gives her best, but she's not an easy person to write off either. So uh, if we're, if we're looking at the women's side, is Serena a one to watch this year?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think a, a grand slam can always bring out, you know, something within you that, you know, is just your best tennis, you know, especially for her that wants to be on that stage you know, for as long as possible during this possible last week, which we don't even know. We kind of made up, you know, and inferred that this is her last week. She hasn't really necessarily said it, but um, yeah, I mean, I do think so. I don't know if she's one to watch to title by any means uh, or, or even late in the second week, but if she can put together a few tough matches, does anybody really want to play, you know, Serena Williams with rhythm, you know, in in the round of 16 of an event. I I don't know, probably not. Um, But yeah, piggybacking off of Freddie as well, I think. I'm curious to see from a fan perspective, because I was interested in seeing how the sport grows of like, does not having a, you know, a few rivalries, is that going to affect viewership? What does that look like? You know, if you're not having, you know, the Fed, Murray or, you know, or if you're Djokovic, Nadal, if you're not having those matches, what does it look like? Is Alcaraz enough to bring it back? Is, you know, the young guns of the U.S. enough in New York to bring it back? Because, you know, I always laugh that it's not, you know, sadly, unless we have a top five, you know, in in the U.S. We were always kind of last there. And even though we have some of the better tennis, you know, group of young tennis players in the world, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's going to have to force, you know, a Fritz or a Pelka to really step up and, and go deep in a second week for that fandom ship to kind of take its turn.
0: And and we, we still don't a hundred percent know if Novak Djokovic is going to be there. <laughs> He's, right. You know, so maybe, maybe you can give us a bit of insight now you can, Noah on on the ground there you know is is there any way are we going to go through the same thing in Australia is he gonna is he gonna try and smuggle his way in is he gonna what's what's gonna happen can we can we write him off
2: yeah I mean I think it's done at this point like I I mean I understand and you could be on whatever side you want to be on I just think it takes away from the tennis because everybody's just asking about Djokovic you know that kind of is the last questions I keep hearing and I'm like who cares? <laughs> you know, you know, at this point, we have so many other stories to look at. It's like, can we can we move past it? So I don't think it's necessarily his intent to be kind of the center of the story, but it's also not the center. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also not his intent. Like it, it, it's here. It's it's every person that I've gone an interview with or asked, or like, oh, anything on Djokovic? I was like, yeah, I don't Man, I don't know, man. Like there's nothing's changing. Nothing's changing here in the next few days to make mm-hmm. that happen. So I think you just move on.
0: The storylines, though, if we go, if we go back to Wimbledon, you think about there were some big storylines beforehand. You know, there's no ATP WTA points on show. You know, no Russians, Russians, able to play. You know, who's gonna pull out? It doesn't mean anything to the players anymore. The second that first ball was hit, it was barely talked about uh, on reflection maybe 2 3 days after people were saying oh it was unfortunate this player got to this point and their ranking went down or this player you know that was that was reflected on but i think we talk about tennis as a whole and we have done a little bit today i don't think anyone can deny that Grand Slams are in a great place right now. You know, it's it's a it's an exciting it's an exciting event every time. You know, we're we're getting these amazing storylines. That's that's going to start. So that's gonna that's gonna move me into you guys putting a few names to your to your reputations here. And and Hiltz, I'm going to bring you in first. Um, the ones to watch, and and no, I have to be really clear here. Wants to watch a names that. Maybe the 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 general listener doesn't really know, you know. I I said this to the guys a few times, and they're like they're like pulling out like three time Grand Slam champions as ones to watch, <laughs> you know. Like and and this is not ones to watch to necessarily win, but to get get to fourth round, quarterfinals, you know, make it make a little bit of a push. Is there is there anyone for us to watch? any of the british girls that maybe are going to make a little bit of a run obviously Radakanu came from nowhere last year you know is there is there someone from of the british girls that's going to make a bit of a run or someone that that the listener hasn't really heard of
3: they're perfectly capable i mean you know what, what emma did last year was 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 you know it was totally amazing really and it's been pretty impressive to see her win a couple of matches last week and in the manner in which she did that and hopefully she goes into the US Open with, with not too heavy burden and weight of expectation on her shoulders. Um, I think in some ways getting the US Open out of the way for her will be will be a positive thing. I think she's obviously had to live with that for a certain amount of time now and I wouldn't be surprised if it would be a bit of a relief for her once that is once that is over, that defending the title and depending on how she does it, Almost be maybe a slightly fairer reflection on where she's at as well. It will be, yeah. Um, but there's no reason why she can't go well. Absolutely. Um but she and, would be a
0: one to watch, I think. I think I think if Emma Raducanu makes fourth round or, or quarterfinals, she's done incredibly well.
3: I think so, because you just have to look at you know, the challenges she's faced this year. And since she, she had that run last year, it's it's been a real challenge for her. Um as I say, she's put some matches together. She's shown she's capable of winning, still at the highest level. But to be putting that sort of performance on that stage again, as you said, if she if she's making second week, it's a great one for her. Um, in terms of the men's side, I, I think what Noah said there about about American tennis is a is a really important point. I think they've got a, a very uh, you've got, they've got incredible depth now in terms of that group of players and, I, I, and when you talk about wants to watch I, I'm always waiting for like a, a sub quarter to go well to, to see him in, this, in the second week I, I don't think he's far away from doing that um, again someone capable of winning some big matches on the biggest stage but it's, it's fascinating isn't it because it is open you know there's players who you would expect to see going very well but like We've been saying here that there's no doubt there's going to be a lot of other players who will believe that they can go well in this event and and in a situation where they can take out the best players on the biggest stage
0: and and noah give us give us some names who 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 should we watch on the women's side? who should we watch on the watch on the men's side that that may be a little bit left field in terms of the picks
2: yeah, I mean, the woman's the first one that comes to mind this is definitely not out of the left field, so you're going to be a little annoyed, but just as a title contender. I want to see an American like a Jessica Pagula kind of break through even further, you know, into her career, I think.
0: She's one of the favorites. She has to be. She's had an an incredible, incredible last 12 months.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, you know, as much as she gets publicity, and maybe her family takes a lot of the publicity away from her being as well known as they are. I just think um, this can kind of skyrocket that a little bit for her and want to see if she can, you know, now she's getting into the point where she is, like you said, the contender, you know, and that's a different pressure being the underdog compared to being the one to watch is, is a lot, a lot to handle. Um, And then the men's side, I'm going to stick with American as well. I want to see like a Tommy Paul, you know, kind of put together a few matches, I think. I like his game a lot. I like, you know, the way that he's been playing, Um, you know, moves extremely well for somebody that's 6'2", you know, puts a lot of balls in the court, uh, but can also do a lot. So I I think um, I think him and then I think Fritz is at this turning point as well, where, you know, he's kind of has America on his back. And if he's not going to kind of show up, there are other Americans that are going to take that spot.
0: And and Freddie, who who we got that last? I mean, you've you've got you've got a reputation here. You've been pulling some. You've been pulling some. You you basically told us in the French Open that Holger Rune was gonna get to the third round, and then he was gonna beat Sitsi Pass, and then he was gonna do. I mean, you you pretty much called it. You called Kyrgios at Wimbledon. So the the listeners uh, they've got their. They've got their notepad ready because they're running to the bookies when Freddie Nielsen gives us an outsider. (laughs) They're they're, they're looking to make their money out of you here.
1: Oh, don't say that. The tennis integrity unit is going to come after me. (laughs) The the um, the
0: Wi-Fi integrity unit need to come after you. I tell you what, it's not easy to hear you.
1: I know. I apologize. What is this, the 19th century? It's poor. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) No, if you start with the men, I think to write off his great Wimbledon, it's not not a particular, particularly inventive uh, shout, but I want to see Curious as well. I think he's going to be interesting to watch. He's been playing well over the summer, physically looking a little bit dubious. So maybe the, the New York Heat that uh, Noah was talking about, which is brutal, can be tough for him, but I want to see him. Uh, talking about the Americans... I I think Tiafo can make a run. I think he's been playing well enough. I think he's due a run at the U.S. Open sooner or later, so why not now? And I think he's the kind of player, one of the the Americans who likes to ride the crowd a little bit more. I think that's one of the things from the crowd, uh, from the Americans, that maybe has been lacking over the years. Uh, sometimes you've even seen some of the big Americans having, uh, ha- having played foreigners who had the crowd support in New York. And I think Tiago is one of those guys who can get the crowd on his side, and I think he can he can he can ride that and and uh, and, and have a run. Why not? Uh, I think he's played well enough. So apart from that, I think it's really really open. I think there's so many guys. I mean, obviously, I need to say Holger just because it's it's one to one for us. We're a small country. We have no players uh, really competing in in the world of tennis. So that the fact that we have a top 30 guy is really interesting for us, so he's gonna be one to watch from my side I say it every time, but it it doesn't change uh, so so I think those are the the men that that are worth watching if if you say a little uh a little out of left field um big favorite is obviously Medvedev goes without saying um I think he'll be the one to 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 beat but then again there's about twenty players that if if they beat Medvedev I'm not gonna be wow, what a shocker because i think it's quite quite competitive
0: i i've uh, I, I like my statistics and i had a, had a little luck and i i quite i i i guess just to back up maybe some of my thoughts and fritz jumped to my mind um i looked and i saw that he was six and three since wimbledon i uh, I was a bit surprised at that i thought he'd maybe won more matches than that um on on the on the women's side uh vicky vicky my wife always makes fun of me cuz i always go for onjabe i've been like calling her for 2 years <laughs> And and but she's two and three since Wimbledon. Um, so she's obviously struggling a little bit. Iga Schviontek, you know, she trained out at the academy. Everyone knows how much I love Iga. And and again, I mean, she was 37 matches in a row, I think, before Wimbledon. I was I was absolutely convinced she wasn't gonna win Wimbledon. I had a couple of very strong, you know, conversations on the podcast about it. Um, she is only six and four. Since Paris, you know, so it's amazing how you can go 37 matches unbeaten and then you lose four out of your next 10. You know, so I think some of those things are interesting. So then when I started looking at the men's, the names that jump out and I'm going to talk about them again, but I just want to mention them now. Cameron Norrie. I mean, just incredible. And like we talk about role modeling. You know, and I, I just think as as a role model for anybody that's, that's playing tennis, that's someone who's gone the college route, someone who's put the hard yards in, someone who's kept going, nothing glamorous, you know, nothing special necessarily that stands out. But he's just kept going, kept going. And he he's going to take some beating. You know, he really is not an easy player to beat. And then Alcaraz, I thought, God, Alcaraz is struggling, I thought. Then I looked at it. He's actually played thirteen matches since Wimbledon. He's won nine, and all four matches he's lost have been in three sets. You know, so for a guy who's nineteen years old and struggling, um, it still takes some beating to to beat him. And then, then the last one, and you and you've mentioned him, Freddie. And I want to throw this to you in a minute, Noah, because I know. You know him well from the juniors and I believe that you're a year, year younger than, than Nick, but you've certainly got experiences with Nick in the locker room and, you know, as myself and as coaches do as well. But Nick Kyrgios is 10 and two since Wimbledon. You know, and I think we we all thought maybe he would he would make a grand slam final, and then he would just disappear, and he would you know go off to the to the local nightclub, and you know enough is enough, and he'll come back in six months' time. But he's kept it going. But I'm a little bit concerned about Kyrios because he's he started to make some noises about being homesick. Um, you know, and once those conversations start with Kyrios, you know it, it it gets a little bit closer. He's playing a first round against somebody who's in his face. You know, he has a he has a long, long four, five set match. You know, the the aeroplanes leaving New York that night, you know, back to back to Melbourne. It starts to play on his mind a little bit to go back for three months. So I'm not sure that this is year for Kyrgios. Uh, I'm not sure that he can do back to back grand slams. If he can, then he's the real deal of someone who's going to be a top five player in the world, you know, and starting to prove that he can do that. But but Noah to throw it to you. You know, give us something, you know, Nick, you know, is they, did you see it? You know, you knew him as a junior. You know, are you surprised at his run? You know, do you think we're finally starting to see someone who can push those top guys in the world on, on a regular basis?
2: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to say anything groundbreaking here. You know, I've known him for a while. Played him a couple of times, uh, singles and doubles. Uh, yeah, everybody knew he was probably one of the most talented tennis players to Hit a ball in a very long time. I mean, God, his, his serve is just out of this world, ridiculous. What he can do with the tennis ball is pretty damn good. So, yeah, I mean, the run to Wimbledon, I think, you know, if I had to put money down on tennis, uh, if the TIU comes after me after Freddie, um, I would say that, yeah, he was going to make, you know, semis or finals of Wimbledon once in his career, you know, if he didn't retire at the age of 25. But but that being said, there's a new world for Nick, you know, as much as, you know, we're seeing a different one, maybe a little bit more professional, uh, you know, the habits like that don't go away overnight. You know, when you're talking about, you know, the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue, you know, I, I just can't assume he's in, you know, the same shape that, you know, Casper rude is in, you know, there's just no way there's just no way they're in the same, you know, physical or mental shape. So, you know, I'd be interested to see that, but, you know, in the heat, he's in that sun. He's in like second round, third set, split the first two. I don't know if he has it. You know, I don't know if he has what it takes to kind of get through uh, a Draper. You know, somebody that's just going to be bombing away and kind of taking out of his hand at times, and he's going to have to really, you know, be gritty about it. So I'd be curious to watch it and as a tennis fan and want to see it grow as well. I mean, Nick is as we all can complain. He's to the sport, you know. He's he's bringing eyes on it in one way, shape, or form. So uh, we'll
0: all be watching him. We'll, yeah, we'll all be watching. Yeah, you know he's bring he's bringing it. And yeah, Jack Draper's the one you mentioned. Uh, he's he's the real deal. He's he's a one to watch, and I think he's also ready. I think he's ready to take a take a scalp. I, I want to move it in a slightly different direction because of got uh, yourself, no, and Freddie. You jump in here, even though maybe Denmark aren't having that same success currently. One of, one of the, my, my favorite comments, you know, you hear, you hear things, and when you get a bit old like me, you, you hear lots of things and you pick out some, some that you like. And, and I remember probably 10 years ago, I heard a coach saying that the job of federations or the job as, as academies, a job in, in different places, it's, it's to make lots of people rich. It's not to make a millionaire. You know and and if you, you you facilitate an environment that that gets a lot of people to a level and I guess in tennis terms, that's that's what the USA is doing. you know it's 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 making a lot of rich people, you know it's it's getting your numbers, your volume that are in the top hundred in the world, you know and and the same hilts back in Britain now we're seeing it on the men's side. I believe there's nine ten inside two fifty, which is which is incredible for where where British tennis has been it's not necessarily the Federation's job to create a Roger Federer, uh, a Novak Djokovic, a Serena Williams, who's that kind of multimillionaire. Uh, so the USTA, I, I, I don't know what, the, what they're doing. Uh, it's obviously a massive country, but it seems like there's obviously been some good work done over the last 10, 15, 20 years that is that is getting to the point where it's facilitating so many players that, that are coming through because we've we've seen that group you know, the 95s, 96s, 97s, 98s. You know, we've seen that that group coming for quite a while from from the junior days. So I don't know what you take or what you can share with us on what's happening out in the U.S. on that side.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a big country, you know, to put it on USCA, I, I, you know, it's do I think they could have been doing a better job during this time? Yeah, sure, 100%. You know, I think... You know, they've done an OK job of of giving players a base if there was kind of nowhere to turn at that point in time. Um, but at the same point, I think we've just been fortunate that there were a lot of coaches during this era that have been out, you know, kind of spread throughout the country and said, hey, you know, we're here to make kind of our separate bases. And I think that's what worked really well. I mean, if you ask a lot of these players, some of them will say, you know, I've been at USCA you know, and, and like, no, no, or in California, but a lot of them have kind of their own locations as well. And I think it really comes down to just a great group of support within the coaching staff. I I think, you know, Is that being
0: facilitated? So I guess my opinion on federations and without turning this into a full federation bit, it's to facilitate the opportunities for, coaches to provide those environments in those little, little pockets. Is that, is, is that someone that's been facilitated by, by the, by the federation or is that just a bunch of motivated coaches in are sense, screw this, we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to grab the ball by the horns.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to take a little bit of credit away from USTA, which, you know, I do yeah. like doing it times. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when you come down to it, I mean, I don't, I don't think a hundred court facility was needed. You know, I think a lot of people knew that that was not going to be utilized to the capacity. And it's not. Um, I think when they were building this, it was like, hey, come here rather than let's help all the other, you know, minority clubs that are kind of going on throughout the country. So I do think that a lot of it is motivated individuals to say, hey, we're going to make this work. And I think the players, I think 95 percent of the players that are where they are now would be there without the help. Um, that they have received. And and I think, again, with the money that was put into the facility uh, at USCA and Lake Nona, I think could have been dispersed differently and, and properly to, to coaches around the country and, and would have been utilized to a, a higher capacity and actually probably would have benefited more players than if it was a 96-court facility out in Orlando, Florida.
0: Yeah. And and to throw to you, uh, it, it's and I, I spoke to Jack Draper a, a couple of weeks ago on the on the on the podcast, and it, it just hit me actually. And, and having conversations with with British coaches or British players over over the last few months, this the feels there's something different. There's a sea change. There's a there's a positivity. There's it, it's always I guess the British tennis culture for me was always let's rip everyone down. And and try and almost to make me look good and give me my wild card. Um, whereas it felt feels like there's a lot more building each other up, you know, everyone's not relying on those wild cards anymore. Everyone's, you know, saying actually, no, we've got careers here, you know, Paul Job, disappointed not to beat Nick Kyrgios at Wimbledon, Jack Draper speaking complete sense. And you know, it seems like there's a real good group now that's that's got a culture and almost. Uh, dare I say it, the pandemic helped that, you know, bringing the, you know, bringing everyone together, Battle of Brits, you know, they, they they had some real camaraderie. You've been in the thick of that, you know, how how's that been? And does it feel the same on the inside that there's a real positive change and positive movements right now?
3: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, there's definitely a nucleus of players now, which are, you know, pushing each other. Um, and and there was an element of of COVID and, the pandemic, which has brought that together. As you said, there was a couple of events that were put on which brought the players together. Um, You know, we're obviously in a very different situation to the US where, you know, the majority of our players are based out of London. Um, So given the circumstances of what we've been through over the last couple of years, a lot of those players came together. And so I definitely think it's helped. Um, I think that people have felt that as well. The players within those, those groups have felt that the others are pulling positively for them. As you said, maybe that hasn't always happened in the past. And there's been, you know, opportunities put in place for those players to come together more often. Uh, I think the Battle of the Brits, although it was such a, it was, you know, it's it's, it's a one-off thing. It, it really did bring players together. I know WhatsApp groups between those players still exist, pulling for each other every week. You know, it, it's little things like that. And it, it's small, but it's actually a small thing which can make a big difference there. And there's no doubt that's happened between and um, the men and the women, you know, they're pulling all for each other. Um, so I don't think there's, you know, that's, should be a shock that we're seeing that now. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough just to be recently in, in the, in the States and, you know, in, in Montreal, for instance, there's a massive group of British players and they're supporting each other. They're going to watch each other's matches. It's, it's, it's a good atmosphere right now. Um, it's now, it's, it's now partly the Federation's job and, is an opportunity to then look for the next group and how we're going to do that, how we're going to facilitate opportunities for the next group to come. Whether that's to put on a, a better com- competitive structure for players to move up through the through the rankings, or whether it's focus on our national academies, you know, it, it's looking for opportunities to bring that next group now.
0: Because I don't think it's um, it's any odd surprise to anybody that. When you are supported in something, (laughs) you tend to do better. You know, I think human nature is, you know, a team. I always looked at the Aussies. I always thought the Aussies were great because they they traveled from such a long distance. They almost made their own little community on the road. You know, and when you have that have that team, yes, it's an individual sport, but when you've got that team vibe, it just adds a bit of accountability, it adds a bit of extra motivation and and feel good factor. So it's 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 great to hear that. Now I'm gonna Freddie, as I I'm not going to get you to go into the depths of Danish tennis. Not that, you know, there's anything bad. I'm sure there's lots of good, good work happening, but to bring it back to the U S open, I need to make my picks. I don't want the listeners saying Dan's just chuck loads of names out. So I do do that sometimes just to say, then I, I, I clip, then the the name that I said, I said 20 names. And then I say that I was correct. So I'm going to put my neck on the line, a couple to watch. And all I had written down was the Americans on the men's side. You know, I, I really do because I think, I think there's so many of them in that, in that pack. I'm not sure we can call Taylor Fritz uh, one to watch. I think he's, he's a legit in the top five, top six, seven favourites for the title, in my opinion. Um, but I think, I think you Tommy Paul, TFO, Corder. You know, I think the these are the names that I, that I've got written down, and uh, I fully expect that at least one of them will make a make a run to round of sixteen. You know, get that big night match at Arthur Rash. It might be against Rafa, it might be against Medvedev, but I can I can see that happening. And and then on the woman's side, I, I say her every time. I love her. She's going to, and I'm going to say it till the day she wins a Grand Slam, and then I'm going to pretend that I knew what I was talking about. It's another American, Anissa Mova. I think, I think she's got game. I think she's got serious game. You can copy and paste that from pretty much every Grand Slam <laughs> preview that we do. Um, Tom Lanovich is a player I like a lot. Uh, I think she's again got the game to to beat some of the the top players, and I expect at some point she'll have a run. And then my last one and uh, a friend of mine who used to coach Iga Piot, who coached Iga fiancee, he's he's a very unassuming guy. Um, you know, a lot of people don't even know that he's coaching Shelby Rogers, but he has been for the last few months. And, you know, he's I think he's made a real impact with Shelby. And I know she likes the hard courts in America. She's put some good results. So those are a few names to to watch out for. But this is the this is the big moment, guys. This is when you no more fluffing, no more, no more thrown out different names your your one pick on the men's side the women's side and your reasons for it and i want you to stick to your guns and don't worry at the end of the open if you're right i will celebrate you far and wide and let the let the tennis world know that you are tennis gods that know what you're talking about so uh noah as our newcomer you get to, you get to lay the gauntlet down
2: uh i think to go further than they have in the past i think is tommy paul and jessica pagula i think those are the two that i want to see you know i think paul could make a quarters you know i really do and then once you get to the quarters you don't know what happens after that and i think pagula could get a title i really do i think she could title and then that would be a tremendous tremendous move in the right direction to have uh, a couple more americans at the top of the sport
0: so who's your men's winner your women's winner is pagula men's side
2: we're just going to go with Alcarez and see what happens i think you know it's eventual that's it's going to happen and uh who knows if i'll get invited back to this podcast next year so might as well do it now
0: <laughs> freddy nielsen
1: i've got medvedev to win it because i think he's the best player in the menstrual we have too many question marks about rafa uh he's the defending champ so he obviously likes to play there medvedev He's fresh. I'm sure he's looking forward to a slam that uh, that he enjoys playing at after we all know that he's not a big fan of the clay in Paris and he wasn't allowed to play at Wimbledon. So he'll be coming in freshly charged and I think he'll be pumped to to do well. So Medvedev for me and uh, Coco Gauff for me on the women's side. I think she is an unbelievable talent. I like her a lot. I pick her a lot in this podcast as well. I think I'm going to keep picking her because sooner or later she's going to win one. So And then I can say I picked her. And also, I really, really like her. I think she's a great role, role model. I think the women's uh, women are lucky. They have some good role models, and she's one of them. So she's one of the ones that, uh, if, if she won, I would be happy that she did win. Uh, and I could celebrate with her with a small asterisk that, of course, I'm going to root for Clara Tauzen and Holger, our Danish players. It goes without saying. that they, Those are the ones that I really wish they could win. and I think they have a a good chance, but if I had to pick, I would say Coco and Medvedev.
0: Mark Hilton.
3: Okay, on the women's side, I think I'll go as an outsider to go well. Kazekina, you know, she's obviously had a good run recently. I really enjoy watching her play as well. She's got a lot of skill. You know, she's fun to watch and she's on some form. So I'll take her to go well. Um, In terms of winning, I'll take Kvitova. Um again someone who's on some form She's you know he's got a lot of history in the slams of performing, so um, yeah, she'd be my pick. Um on the men's side, I'm gonna take Evans to go well. You know, he's he's finding some form over the summer. Um again, I spent a little bit of time with him um over these past few weeks. He's been he's been working really hard. He's 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 spent a lot of time out there since since Wimbledon. Um and preparing well he's been winning a lot of matches winning some big matches he likes to play on the outdoor hard he's always performed pretty well in america um so i'm gonna say that he's gonna go well into the second week um and in terms of winning the event i think i've got a side with Freddie. i'm gonna go with medvedev um listen he's, he's someone who's who's always you back to win matches on the biggest stage um, he seems to thrive in that environment as well so yeah, they would be my two picks.
0: We we're amazing as tennis people. That it's, I think that's now three slams in a row that we've not mentioned. The greatest ever male tennis player, twenty-two, Grand Slam title, title winning Rafael yeah, yeah, Nadal. You just mentioned him. You did, Freddie. You, you're, you I was. I've got a dog called Rafa, so I wasn't sure if you were calling my dog Rafa in the background because it was such a short mention. But it, but it's it we he's he's unbeaten. He's unbeaten this year in Grand Slams. He has not lost a tennis match in a Grand Slam this year. Um, now I'm also with you though. I think it's Medvedev. Um, <laughs> even though that that being said, but. He he could easily bite us all on the arse again. I mean, how do we truly write him off? You know, I know he lost last week, but come on, he's he he, he lost it in a tight match to the guy Chorich who went on and won the tournament, didn't drop a set. So you know, the fact that I think putting a little bit of perspective on that result, I think also shows mm-hmm. that Rafa's not not a million miles away. So I I just have to mention him. I did write Medvedev down, so I I, I can't go back on that. But the other one I have to have to have to mention, I said I'd come back to him, Cameron Norrie. Um, he's for me. It, there's there's no reason. There's no reason now. I think Cameron Norrie shouldn't be talked about as a grand potential Grand Slam title winner. He's number nine in the world. His his record. It's not a lucky year. You know he's now done it for two two and a half years. You know he beat Alcaraz only last week. You know he's he's got good good form against a, a lot of these guys. I think he maybe will just fall short again, um, but he he's a one that needs a big mention. Uh, I would love Rafa to win it, but I think I'm with you boys on Medvedev. I think, you know, once he gets that serve rocking on those courts uh, at the U.S. Open, I, I think it could be his title. And and on the women's side again, I think it's really interesting that we haven't talked about Iga fiontech you know she couldn't lose a match <laughs> uh, and and all of a sudden she loses a couple and we forget about her um so I think it's wrong that we don't mention her, but the one that has been right there for me, again, I, I feel it's the year of the Americans. I really do. I think there's a, a real opportunity there for the Americans. We haven't mentioned her today, but she takes some beating when she's playing well and she's playing well right now. And that's Madison Keys. So so my pick on the, on the women's side for US Open 2022 is, is Madison Keys to to go all the way. And medvedev on the, on the men's side so 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 let's see guys you, you you're gonna be there nor you're gonna you're gonna find yourself to the to the site and spend some time there no
2: definitely not no i, I probably won't be within 100 feet of that place so it's <laughs> it's <laughs> it's exhausting when i'm playing and i'm i'm looking around the fans and i'm like it's 142 degrees here good for you for being out here i mean Last match I played there, Maine. I had two people that passed out on the stands. So uh, no, I'll watch a few matches on TV and and do my own thing.
0: <laughs> and 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 Hiltz, Andy's Andy's got to do without you uh, because you're you're in my hometown in sort of Grande, Spain, right now. So um, you know maybe we'll although but you would have left you would have left by the time that the Open starts.
3: That's right, that's right. You know I'll be pulling for for the British boys and Andy back home um and hopefully be seeing some entertainment from from the uk but uh i've no doubt we're going to see some fantastic tennis there's
1: no doubt about that
0: and what about you freddie you're gonna you're gonna make your way there you're in the states currently or uh are you also passing it this year
1: Unfortunately, I'm passing it. I have to go home. I've I've uh, taken over a new house in the first week of US Open, so I have to be home for that. And the second week, we're having a training camp to prepare for our Davis Cup tie in El Salvador. So uh, those are the priorities at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, they're also pretty good priorities. And like Noah said, it's not a vintage slam to be a fan at when you're sitting around in metal beaches. And, yeah, a million degrees. Nowhere <laughs> to hide. Uh, so, Yeah. It, it is what it is hopefully i can be back next year
0: awesome guys well as as always a, a big thank you from myself but also all of the listeners guys to to give your time up and to to share your wealth of knowledge is, is amazing i i massively appreciate it and i know that everyone listening does too so thanks a lot guys and uh maybe we'll get you all back to to have a little have a little review and see see how you've done after after the open as well
2: sounds good thanks for having sounds us good.
0: thanks Gina. and once again i hope you enjoyed listening to to the panel to, to their opinions did you agree with them did you disagree you know send it in to us get in touch you know if you go to the show notes you can get in touch with us via email or you can find us on control the controllables ctc.podcast you can find us on Instagram, or you can also go through Soto Tennis and all of our different social media platforms. Let us know what storylines are we missing? Who are you looking for? We'll repost them. We'll get them out there. You'll have a chance to become Insta-famous if you pick pick the right players to go far. And I have to agree, I I I... I, I, I and I have to say, I completely agree with the panel that, and I think it was Freddie Nielsen that spoke about, the storyline is how open it is. You know, for, for many years, it's almost been, right, we know what the finals are going to be. And on the women's side, it's been open for a while. But who is going to be the Emma Raducanu story of this year's US Open? You know, is somebody going to come out of the blue? And, and I think as we don't have those dominant players that we once did, on both the women's side and the men's side, the chances are someone will make a name for themselves through this Open. I I have to bring up Rafael Nadal, who I know I didn't pick him either. I have a feeling that Medvedev, it's going to be his year again on the men's side. However, 22 Grand Slams, unbeaten at Grand Slams this year. In my heart, I would love for Rafael Nadal to take his 23rd Grand Slam title, and I think that would be an incredible, incredible achievement and take advantage of Novak Djokovic not being there, so we'll see. There's going to be lots and lots of storylines. Will Serena make a run? Will she be able to get for her first couple of rounds and then just allow it to happen? You know, get the crowd behind her, find her confidence, serving big, hitting big returns. You don't put it past a great champion like that. I'm excited to watch. I hope you are too. Please do get in touch. You know, we want to hear your questions we want to hear your thoughts, your opinions, and also who you want to come next on the podcast. Some of the names we have lined up, Pat Cash, Ryan Peniston, Danny Valverdu. You know, we've got a few players that we're reaching out to as well. Anyone can help bring any players in the world of tennis onto the show. We'd love to, to speak to them. So again, this is an interactive podcast. It's you, the listener, that is... The podcast is for, so please do get involved. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables.